mix it up, get in gear, go for broke, don't fear because the Level Cap Podcast is here, just in time or otherwise. Hey, Marco. Hey. How are you doing today? I'm absolutely fine, Brad. Hello. Welcome to this wonderful episode of the Level Cap Podcast. I'm happy to be here. How about you? I'm happy to be here as well. Oh, man. I'm so glad that you're here, Brad. I have missed you since the last time we recorded, which was uh, some amount of time ago. I think it was about this time last week, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's how weekly podcasts tend to go, though. Oh, really? Weekly podcasts tend to be recorded every week? Uh well only when we're when we're in crunch time usually we record we should be a few a little bit ahead but yeah. anyway we're not we, ahead we're just keeping up with the pace hey technically this is episode ninety seven yes episode ninety seven we're planning to roll out a brand new level cap podcast for episode one hundred oh yeah once episode ninety nine happens we literally level up and hopefully we ascend to gloryhood and get it's, there it's either a level up or it's a uh, or it's a universe reset one of those two. We go back to level zero. <laughs> you know what? We should start yes. calling these levels. Yes. Marco, like Marco, I need, I need to merge Marco and, and Galactus. Like Marco Lactus has reset the timeline oh, yes. and a new level cap podcast must be, be started from the origin story. Yes, me and my compatriot, the Silver Brad. I'm not sure. <laughs> Silver Brad? <laughs> Silver Brad. Brad Surfer? I, I'm not sure, okay? That sounds, that sounds painful, actually. Yeah, you get you surf. No, on Brad. no Brad surfing. No okay. Brad surfing. Illegal, highly illegal on the Level Cap podcast. Welcome, listener. I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. Come into our room. Come into our house. Come into our home, the Level Cap podcast, where we have a wonderful docket for you tonight, where we will talk about all things Level 99 games or otherwise. We have a cool segment coming up for you, which will happen just about now, because I'm about to ask Brad the wonderful question. Brad, what have you been doing this week? Well, um, this last weekend, we had the Extra Life Marathon at my local game store. And uh, part of, as part of that, I didn't play like the whole 24-hour marathon, but I did donate a lot of games. I did uh, do a lot of promotional work for, the, uh, for the, the event. And I did go in and play Betrayal Legacy. Um, so if you're not familiar with this, this is Betrayal of the House on the Hill, Legacy the Legacy version? Edition. Ooh. Yes. Um, and it's it's really good. It's uh, it's it's quite cool. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but I'd say this game is definitely worthy if you were thinking about it. If you like Betrayal at the House on the Hill, this is going to be everything that you love about that and more. Mm-hmm. Um, just a few little snippets to kind of tell you what it's about. Um, the haunts are in order. Like there's a story to the haunts. So things happen. You really like like the story is developing as you as you play the game. So unlike regular betrayal, where you might get a really complicated haunt the first time, and you might get a really simple one on your like twentieth game, in this one you start with really simple haunts that are very much tied to the situation you're in. So that makes the game really good to learn. It makes for a good tutorial game. Um, second, whenever cards are added to the deck, the game tells you why. So like it's about this one house. So this is very American Horror Story, and that it's like it's about this one house through the years um this same these same families keep coming to this house and uh and ex- investigating it so like when something happens let's say um 
I don't know, like I find a, uh, a crossbow or something, okay. I can actually make that my family heirloom and, and name the card. And then in the future, when my descendants find that item, they'll be more proficient with it. That's cool. So they get a mechanical benefit, yeah, for, for this thing. Alternatively, like if my character wins the game, um, and I say, and I'm gonna write a, and I'm gonna write a book, and 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 so that nobody forgets the deeds that happened here on this day. And then we take this book and we put it into the event deck, and future generations can find this book and learn about what happened at the house. And that offers some mechanical benefit as well, I assume. Yeah, um, yeah. So there's so, but or not even that it's a mechanical benefit. But when we find the book, we'll know like, oh, that's the book that you know that he wrote when he, you know, when when this ghost possessed and killed everybody, right? Like, oh. there's still there's lore. There's there's not like innate lore to the items. The lore is created by the adventure. That's awesome. Yeah, so oh. so that's that's what makes I think makes it really cool because it's it's not just the uh, it's not just that you find things, but that you um, you actually put things in throughout through the story. Oh, okay. And you basically make it your own, right? That's what I think the mm-hmm. big part of legacy games, right? Is that it becomes your game, not yeah. the same as everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and this one really does become your game. Oh. So I'm very excited to play it again. That's great. That's great. So, Brad, have you been doing anything else aside from playing some great legacy board games? Yeah, well, I was I was so enamored with uh, Betrayal Legacy that uh, I decided to go watch Castlevania Season 2 on Netflix. Okay. I'm about halfway through that right now. It's it's interesting. Um, it's longer than Season 1, and it focuses a lot on, the, on Dracula and yep. not as much on Belmont as you might expect. Yep. Which is cool. Um, it's, it's a different side of the Castlevania story, which is, is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I'm curious to see where that's going to go. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then the last thing I've been working on, licensing for Millennium Blades Collusion. So I sent out requests to a bunch of different publishers to say, hey, let us put your characters in promo packs for the new Millennium Blades Collusion uh, project that we're doing. And I've gotten some some good uh, responses on those. So that's been going really well. Okay. And, Did you get Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, no, no, no. I, I'm more board game publishers, fellow board game publishers. I see. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, that's going pretty good so far too. So that's what I've been up to. How about you, Marco? What I've been up to is back to my uh, obsession with grinding because Marco's MMO Corner is back. You know, originally this was about roguelike dungeon crawlers. Now it's about MMOs. Uh, last week I talked about Ragnarok Online. This week, let's talk about, sorry, Ragnarok Online Mobile Eternal Love. And this week, we're going to be talking about some Black Desert Online. Um, well, that's certainly less of a mouthful. Yes, definitely. Have you played Black Desert Online, Brad? I, I, I like the idea of MMOs, but I don't have the time. That's completely fair. I mean, as overlord god of level 99 games, I assume your time is quite precious. It's, it's pretty... It's pretty uh, it's pretty tight, but also I like to, you know, consume different media and, and to really get an MMO, you got to sink hours and hours into it. How long have you been playing Black Desert? So overall, I think I've spent around, give or take, like fifteen hours on Black Desert over the past two weeks. Mm-hmm. So it's not a lot of time, right? Um, the main re- I mean, it's a, that's a good amount of time, right? That's like two work days. No, not for an MMO. Well, yeah, but for like real people, lifespan time. Yeah, okay, that's that's completely fair, right? It's, that's it's, half of a human work week. That in this, well, indeed, two fifths. 
Yeah. Or something yeah. like that, right? It's a, it's a decent chunk of time that I spent over the weekends playing it. Um, yeah. Mostly because there was an event that they did. Like, this is, this is like the ultimate way to rope people in because it's a pay-to-play game. It kind of mm-hmm. has like a pseudo-subscription thing. But if you get to a certain level within the first two weeks of the trial they give you, they give you the game for free, essentially. And you don't have to pay huh. to play it anymore. Interesting. It's a very interesting concept. Um, ultimately, I just want to take this time to talk about uh, a few things about Black Desert Online. Uh, specifically, that Black Desert Online takes grinding and makes it kind of fun. Because rather than the typical MMO thing of like you click a thing and then you like skill rotation hot bar, you know that you know WoW. Yeah, yeah, WoW style. Yeah, it doesn't play like WoW style. It plays a lot like Skyrim and third person. I think that's what it feels a lot like. So mm-hmm. you move with WASD and you left click to do light attack. You right click to do heavy attack, and then like I don't even think there's like a. I barely even use the skill bar because a lot of your attacks are actually just tied to like fighting game-esque commands so it's like if you press up plus f you do a drop kick or if you do like up plus right click you do a different attack and then you have tilts to mm-hmm. your attacks and stuff like that so the combat it's is kind of actually... like uh what's that game that we played a while back um Ad- absolver it's kind of like abs lover uh except um you don't you don't get to <sighs> customize your deck sigh Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You don't get to customize your deck. Uh, you you basically get to play your character. Um, so that's one thing. They made the grind a bit more enjoyable, which I think helps them because I want to talk about leveling systems in MMOs for like uh, a minute. Uh, a minute. Mm-hmm. It's basically I find that leveling up in MMOs is very rewarding. Should be very rewarding, right? Like you know, yeah. you level up, you get more stats, you get more skills, and all this stuff. Uh, Black Desert you spell every four levels, etc. Or yeah, etc. Right? Black Desert yeah. Online doesn't do that. <laughs> it's yeah, it's quite a weird concept because Black Desert Online uh, leveling up doesn't actually give you stats or anything. All your stats are tied uh-huh. to equipment, so all leveling really does is just give you access to new skills, which don't even get unlocked by leveling because you have an entirely separate XP bar for skills. So that's uh that kind of reminds me of Guild Wars actually. Did oh. you ever play Guild Wars one? No, I have not played Guild Wars. So at Guild Wars one, you um your max level was twenty in that game, and you did stat up up to level twenty, but um the only real stats were were your armor stats, and and those were they the armor was pretty well capped, so it was really just aesthetic once you got the the top tier armor, which was only like tier three armor. Um, but anyway, in, in in Guild Wars, you um you whenever you got a level, they would give you a uh, a capture signet, and you could use that to go and steal a skill from a boss of your class. So you basically it basically turned into Monster Hunter after you got a level twenty because you had to go out and find these exotic bosses and steal the skills from them. That's awesome. And then yeah, and then you had a reason to go hunt with the other players to hunt their bosses because you still had to get a level before you could actually go cap another one. Ah, okay, okay, so, okay. That's interesting. They got they got rid of it in Guild Wars two, but it was a really neat system in Guild Wars one. Yeah, so I played Guild Wars two, so th- this is why this sounds foreign to me. Like what? Ah, interesting. So in the end, um, yeah, uh, my big problem with this is that it doesn't feel rewarding to level up in Black Desert Online, like because literally nothing changes about your character. A level one character can be as strong and effective as a level 50 character, right? Mm-hmm. Like, because not even equipment is restricted by experience levels. 
So like, oh, okay. Literally nothing is different except for the amount of skills that you have access to. Um, and ultimately, mm-hmm. if you already found a skill that you like in like level five, leveling up doesn't really open up your options. It, it, it literally just does nothing. Um, yeah. And my big problem hmm. with Black Desert Online as well is uh, how they do their EXP cliffing or like scaling because it took me say seven hours to get from level one to 55 and then took me seven hours to get from 55 to 56 like it is completely atrocious how this exp system works they just break the curve and they just absolutely destroy the curve there's no max level in this game because the curve gets so steep that there is effectively a soft lock on how high a level you can be. Currently, it's at level 60 because apparently, according to people, to get from level 60 to 61 takes four months of like playing five hours at least a week. And I'm like, okay, no way, man. That's not happening. Have you played Guild Wars 2, Marco? I played it a bit, yeah. I'm not like super deep into it. I got like two hours into it or something. Oh, man. You should really give it a little more time because I think it's got a lot of things that you would like. Um... So the, the level cap in that game is 80. And you get there... It takes a while to get there. But um, the, what they did in the game that was really cool is... Um, first off, your armor and weapons are, are kind of prorated to your um, your character. In mm-hmm. that, like, like there's, there's like a couple tiers of armor. And once you get the top tier armor, like you've got it. There's not really much more you can... Like, stats-wise, your stats get, get pretty balanced in the, in the PvP side of things. Okay. Um, like in PvP, there's specific armors that you can wear, and the only changes you can make are aesthetic. Um, okay. Whereas in, in PvE, you can keep stacking up stats more like Warcraft and, and get really good. But when you go to, let's say I'm level 80, and I go to level 20 zone, the game actually prorates me back to level 20 and scales my armor back accordingly as well. So I, when I go to level 20 zone, I become a level 20 character. So even if I'm like cleared the whole game, when I go back to fight through some of the, like to finish my map or to fight through some quests that I missed or something like that, I'm, I'm appropriately leveled to make that area challenging or at least like interesting. It doesn't, oh. I'm still strong for the area. I'm still a lot stronger than for that area because I do have better gear, like higher. I have like tier five gear when other people in that area have tier three gear. Yeah, but you're not just like literally single left click. But we're actually both level twenty. Yeah. Yeah, I Um, see. And so and so I can go back and play with people that are you know like my friends that are at a lower level, and that's something that is really cool in MMO that I've that I that's one of my hangups right because I always my friends are like Brad can play this MMO with me and I'm like you guys are level sixty. It's like it's gonna take me a month to get to where you are, and by then you'll be somewhere else, and you don't want to come back and grind with me because that's boring. Mm-hmm. Um, but in Guild Wars too, you know, if as long as you start in a different area than I started in, there's another quest that I can go on. Like I can complete that entire area, like that entire starter zone, and it's interesting, and I get rewards for it. Ah, okay, that's interesting. So it's it's a really cool it's a really cool way to have done things. Okay, maybe I'll give I'll give it a bit more time once the Shine and Black Desert Online. Um... You know, the shine rubs off. Uh, it won't off. be too much longer if uh, if you're already level 55. I'm 56 now, actually. So ah, uh, I see. Yeah, <laughs> it, at 56 you unlock the um, you unlock your secondary class, and uh, I forgot. Uh, okay. I my character is a berserker who wields two giant axes. Whatever, I don't care about that. Like literally, all of this has been building up to this moment because the uh, the the awakened class of the berserker is called like the iron something, the iron buster or whatever. 
And the entire point is that your weapon goes from axes to literally just a Mega Man buster. So, <laughs> how that's not even like that's not even a linear progression. It's like like axes. You'd think it'd go to like you know like bigger axes or throwing axes, but it goes straight to a gun. Yeah, and the, a, a hand cannon, a literal hand, a hand cannon. cannon. Your hand literally turns into a cannon, a la Mega Man style. That's yeah. That's I don't I don't I don't get the connect there. I don't get the connect either. Um, I don't know why, but I literally picked this entire class just for that. Like, you can be a Mega Man character? Heck yes. So I am I'm doing the quest to become Mega Man, and hopefully I will yeah, report sure. back. Report back and talk to you how great it is to jump and shoot. Jump and shoot. <laughs> All right, so that's what wow. we've been doing for this week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed listening to us talk about legacy games, MMOs, and Mega Man. Now, let's move on to our next juicy segment. Brad's segment, also known as the pipeline. Well, I guess this what? one's really more lore, uh, lore this week again because um, I've been asked to talk about chaos in the world of Indians. Yes. Uh, so, world of Indians is uh, the world of Battlecon, Argent, um, Imperial spells and steam. Uh, if you haven't, if you don't know about Indians, uh, you probably aren't listening to this podcast. Um, <laughs> but anyway, uh, there's a little, little more obscure portion of this world, which is the plains. And at the far edge of the universe, there's the Plane of Chaos, which is still in the process of basically being born into the universe. So it's new. Yeah. So remember I was talking a little bit earlier about worlds like uh, we would call like the Minus World that are in the process of dying? Yeah. Like disappearing into the void? There are other worlds that are being born from the start of the universe that are being created. Um, and these worlds kind of lack form. They have incredible amounts of potential energy because uh, they're connected to this kind of ultimate source of, of all things. Um, and anyway, that's the plane that the Chaons come from. So they're a very young race. Um, they are made of light and energy and um, and ideas in a lot of sense. Okay. They're, they're not quite like other things in the universe. Um, but when they enter Indians, they become human. Uh, just like everything else, because Indians is a material plane, whenever a non-material creature comes there, they get turned into a human-like form. So that's why our Chaons appear humanoid when they show up in the world. I see. Okay, so but the, that's not what they actually look like, right? They no, they're they're kind of like. I mean, they don't really look like anything because they're not from a material plane. So the that would be difficult to to explain so i just generally say they're kind of like they're kind of like stars or or balls of light or whatever i see so they're basically like incomprehensible figures right yeah okay yeah. like to see they come a- from a world that's like they come from a plane that's purely like energy and thought okay that's pretty interesting uh though mostly like in the fan base we usually just call them like they're basically cthulhu creatures <laughs> Like that's how they mm, seem to some like e- to some extent. That's kind of how we perceive them. I mean, they're they're you know inconceivable aliens. So Cthulhu is not you know um, not necessarily uh, a bad comparison. But I would say, unlike Cthulhu's, they're not uh, like these giant world devouring creatures that have lived since time untold. Um, mm. They're really more kind of whimsical. Whimsical. So they're like wisps or fairies or something like to some extent i mean they have uh they 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 operate on different logic than 
than the people of the Indians do. I see. So it makes them seem eccentric in comparison. Yeah, I guess. they seem really eccentric because they don't they don't think about things the same way. I see. Okay, okay, I like that. So yeah, here, here's the big question, right? I yeah. know that they manifest as humans. It, it just seems that like there's this preconceived notion in the community that kaons are always female. Is this true or false? Uh, so it's not really true. They don't really have a gendering, right? Um, because they're made of light and ideas. Um, but in Indians, they'll manifest as as one or the other because that's that's how kind of how it works. Um, but we do have we do have uh, male form kaons. Uh, Telthurius uh, from Imperial Spells of Steam is one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's uh, so. It's 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 they're not really one or the other, but it is uh, just a matter of form. I see. So. Okay. Perhaps it's random. Perhaps it has to do with mental disposition, or you know, nobody like knows that. Nobody, nobody yeah, knows it's not right. well understood even I by see. me. Okay, uh, perfect, perfect explanation. Um, and sometimes I hear there yeah. are glitches, right? Certain kaons appear with like yeah. tentacles for arms. Like, what's up with that? They never, they never come in exactly right. Um, even and and so there's some that are uh, that are really strange, like Lavanina from Argent has tentacles instead of one of one of her arms. She has uh-huh. a bundle of tentacles. Um, so like, uh, was it Welsey has uh, her eyes are different. What um, do you mean her eyes are different? She actually has like sheep's eyes. If you look really close at any of her artworks, they have these bars instead of pupils. Whoa! I never noticed. I never noticed. Yeah. Wow! And Orion has a third uh, eye, right? Orion has a third eye. Um, uh, and uh, Eerie actually has heart-shaped pupils in her eyes. Um, and she also can't maintain her form very well, so she keeps switching. Oh, and that's why she stance changes. Oh, lord! Yeah, she had, so she has several different forms, and she kind of like as her mood changes, manifests different ones. I see. Um, and let me just guess: there is no real reason as to why Eerie is basically an anime magical girl. Um, there's reasons, but um, uh, well, it's uh, how do I explain it? Um. So she's. Just remember, I said like they're all based on like they're they're made of, uh, what's the word? Thoughts made of and like ideas. light and ideas. Yeah. yeah. So so, Eerie is kind of built is kind of uh, this idea of justice, that is maybe not fully formed, um, but she manifests that as you know as being a a a quote unquote defender of justice in the universe, ah. and so that's why she has that particular style. It's not just like what she's decided to be, but it's actually who she is. I see. Okay, so I think that I think that's something I need to talk to you about, right? Like Kaons tend to have these like hugely like in my opinion overpowered power sets, right? Because I didn't know <clears throat> that they were tend to be like manifestations of certain ideas, but I guess it makes sense. Like immature justice is basically like a Saturday morning cartoon superhero, right? So, um, <clears throat> like in a way, like like what where do chaos draw their power from? Like, if they're made of ideas, if they're literally the, quote-unquote, manifestation of a specific idea, like, how does that relate to their power? So, it's a lot of uh, self-perception and a lot of, um, like, their de- their own development. So, yeah, so their powers could change over time as personalities change or as their own sense of identity becomes more solid. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they're very, like... Um, what would I say? Like very um, variable. You don't. They don't really have. Um, you know, they haven't tapped into their full powers in a sense. 
So, um, so someone like like Erie, who still who kind of has a strong sense of what she is, is is really powerful. But someone like Welsey, who is kind of not certain about what she really is, just what she wants to do, um, has a much smaller power set. So it's all about uh, self belief, I guess. A lot of it is, yeah. So so Welsey's kind of still in the process of discovering who she is, even in her twelfth and thirteenth incarnations, traveling back through time. Yeah. To relive the same era over and over again. Yep. So there are like at least a dozen Welsies in Indians, all at different periods yeah. of her life. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this brings to mind a certain thing. This remind like a lot of this stuff that you're talking about is specifically in terms of like how you are, what you, like your power is deeply tied to how you perceive yourself or how you act. And the way you are in your personality essentially determines like what things you can do. That sounds a lot like yeah. the characters from Mystic Empyrean. Like, yeah, the the Eidolons in Mystic Empyrean, uh, which is an RPG that uh, that we we did oh, several years ago, um, have that same concept where they are really the products of their own identities, um, and uh, they kind of grow and change over time through the actions they take. Um, there is there is some relationship uh, between uh, Chaons and Eidolons. Um, so that would canonically link Mystic Empyrean and Indians together. Um, but those ties are not fully formed, even in my mind. So I, uh, I can't talk too much about them here. I see. All I could say is that there is, a, there is a link between these universes. Okay, okay. So is there anything else you want to say before we move on? So I talked a little bit when you were asking me about... Um, like Alumus and the Rasps, how there were there are different kinds of creatures in that plane. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we list Oriana as a Kaon, but she's not really a Kaon in the same sense that like Eerie and Welsi and Telthurius are. She's something a little bit different from that same world. Um, and okay. that's one reason that she's so much more powerful than the rest of them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But um, so so there's there's some still some mystery about Oriana's true nature and why she wants to conquer the entire universe i see is orion uh, like the equivalent of like the Kaon queen in that sense yeah in a certain sense like she's kind of just recognized as the ruler of that entire plane it's because she's the strongest like what's Kaon culture like um well i don't know i haven't delved too much into that because it's outside the focus of most of the story right i see okay like, things happen in indians so we look at things through the, the lens of indians Yep, and to us, all it seems like is they're these just whimsical, magical light creatures who come in and do whatever the heck they want, right? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm excited. Um, oh, by the way, since I I never hear about that like male Kaon, what's his name? Telfiri? Telfirius. 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 What's his power set? Because I don't know what his power set is. Uh, so he is um, kind of linked to uh, Connection. So he, he he runs the railway, right? The Star Chaser Rails. And is trying to bridge all the different uh worlds together. I see. Okay. So he's um so he he's he's kind of a technologist. He develops things that everybody can use. Um but yeah, his kind of goal is to connect all the planes together. I see. And that why that's why he has the power of teleportation or something? Um, well, we haven't actually seen him, like, do stuff. We only know that he is in charge of this railway, and that he developed the technologies behind it. I see. So, okay. as far as what his actual, like, power set is, that isn't, uh, isn't defined yet. Good to know. Oh, Or one isn't last revealed question. yet, I should say. Oh, one last question, though, Brad. Mm-hmm. 
so chaos are linked to a certain concept, right? So say Eerie is like childish justice and um, Deltheris is connection. Uh, does killing mm-hmm. them result in that concept being affected in some way? Or well, no? if you well like like other aliens, if you kill them, they just get banished back to their home plane. Okay, because so... they're not material creatures. So if you kill their material body, they just get banished out of the plane. Okay, and then just come back after like a week or something. Uh, it depends, but generally, yeah, they could come back eventually. I see. Okay. So thank you so much for answering that question, Brad. I'm sure everybody's excited for uh, Eerie and all the Kaons, uh, specifically Eerie because people uh, know she's yeah. coming. Okay, so this is really great, Brad, but we need to move on to the next segment. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. All right, Starlight Change to the 99 questions where we talk about all of your questions and then do a magical girl transformation to turn them all into glorious answers that can defeat the true evils. Brad, are you ready for question number one? Yeah. Transformation. Let's go. All right. Would you ever consider releasing a tabletop RPG rulebook set in Indians? Yeah. Yeah, we want to. We do. Um, We've actually been talking a lot about this internally, and we've actually been kicking around a lot of ideas about it more recently. Like, really – so in our our marketing – so we did this big marketing survey, right? And we found that about, I want to say it's something in the range of like, it's like 70% of our fans are also RPG players, mm-hmm. which is a lot higher number than I expected. So that really, um, so thank you to everybody who filled out the survey. That really kind of tells us this is a thing that people want um, in a way that we weren't really certain about before. So we definitely want to push forward with an RPG this year for the world of Indians. Um, yeah. So we we um, one thing we are reprinting Mystic Empyrean second edition this year. Please, that's please. something to look out for. Please, Brad. Um, oh my God. But I'm as sorry. far as the Indians RPG, Indians a pretty big place, right? Yeah. So we've been talking to ourselves whether we want to just do a smaller focus setting like Argent, or whether we want to do something that's more of a a like world spanning traditional fantasy RPG. And that I'm not really sure about. You know, an RPG is kind of defined by its focus. Um, so yeah. if we make a big world focus, it's very difficult to, you know, um, to give players that sense of identity uh, yeah. even within this world. So I feel like it might be better to have kind of a core book and a source book and say, you know, here's the rules for making a character and your students at Argent. And, um, or your, say, retrievers for the reliquary or something like, you know, some narrow thing so that the yeah. missions and the story have a structure. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's true. Like, we can't just like list out everything in the world of Indians, list out how to make a character, and go like, create your own adventure. Like, I guess there has to be like a hook, right? Like, like in Dungeons and Dragons, the core conceit is that you are adventurers and you do adventures. That's it. Yeah. Well, the question when you do an RPG, it's always like, why don't I just take this world and play D and D in it? Exactly. Right? Like, why don't exactly. I just take the world book and then adapt my D and D campaign to this setting? And um, and that's that's a valid question, right? Because with the Grand Chronicle and with some of the other stuff we have, you certainly could um, build an RPG, just play an RPG in the world of Indians. So part of having that focus is that you can do unique subsystems. So like if we did, um, you know, like say the Reliquary, we could actually have a system for like building your your art, your artifact collection and using those on future missions, and um, you know, getting ranks and clearances and stuff like that. That could be a big part of your character. 
if we did like Argent, you could actually build your curriculum and curriculum. use that to learn spells and, you know, take, you know, um, uh, assessment tests and stuff. And yeah. that would be how you advance your character. Or maybe you so, just become part of like the heroes of Indians or something like a mercenary group. And Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And you have to like hunt monsters in the actual, um, you know, Act like the actual process of monster hunting is well defined within this, the world. Yeah, like you know, you have to find out what's a monster specific weakness, specific kinds of weapons that the monster is weak against, or where do you even find the monster? Like the monster just doesn't pop up whenever you want it to, right? Like, yeah. So, so that's so that's why we're thinking of doing a more focused RPG rather than just a big, you know, play play in Indians kind of game. Yeah, that makes sense to me. You know, in the end, right, like, this isn't really far off, right? Because the World of Indians literally started as an RPG setting for you. In Argent, yeah. specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why we were thinking of Argent as, as a first setting. Because a lot of that, yeah, all that history and everything already exists from the original RPG. Yeah, and I think that would be cool, right? Because you could have a system wherein you get to pick your curriculum, and there's literally, like, six-something branches of magic, and you could just have, like, specific... Yeah abilities tied to whatever branch of magic you're part of yeah it's there's so... there's six branches and there's like four specializations within each branch and then you've got things like clubs and um and extracurriculars and dating um, and all that stuff yeah dating yeah all the things you do in, in university yeah heck yeah that'd be great like you know you could be part of a club that's like I don't know, it's like Haruhi Suzumiya, you're like part of the SOS club, and you just go around like trying to look at abnormalities at your school or whatever. Ah, whatever. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm really yeah. excited. Yeah. Okay, Brad, question number two. Are you ready? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Will Seventh Cross be story-driven like an Arkham Horror LCG or Pandemic Legacy? Uh, as far as I know, this is a very Brad question to ask, uh, but as far as I know, yes? Question mark? So, uh, we talked about it on the blog um, the a little bit. So if you check out the Inside Seventh Cross blog, you can read back about like the legacy components of the game. Uh, in general, it is probably more like the Arkham LCG, um, but probably not even like that. Um, you take a you you when you play you play through an entire castle, which is like seven seven bosses that you can fight through, four to seven bosses, and then at the end of that, the game resets. The only thing that remains is. Um, these heirlooms that you find, and those are items that will stay in the that will stay in the decks for you to find later. So it's kind of a roguelike progression. When I start Castle Two, mm -hmm. I might find treasures or skills or items that were unlocked during Castle One, but the game will not remember like, oh, you killed this guy, so they can never show up again for the next you know like forty hours of gameplay. Uh, we didn't want that. We had too many interesting characters, um, so we, we so it's kind of balanced, right? You want death to be permanent. But you have all these cool characters. So what we did is we said, well, death is going to be permanent within a castle. So if a guy dies in, you know, in in fight one, you're not going to see him for the next like six or seven hours of gameplay. But after you finish that castle, like we reset things and it's a different adventure. So people can come back. Hmm. And uh, and we thought that was the best way to make the game feel um, to make to make the game easy to jump into, and also not quite the like commitment of a 40-hour campaign instead you get seven you know set, uh eight hour campaigns oh, man. Okay, yeah yeah um this so and then like sorry yes huh? go on go oh on. i was saying like the story driven uh it's about as story driven as you want it to be uh, between fights you get time tokens and you use those to go and explore the castle um and you can use them to talk to npcs or you can just use them to shop for example 
So if you decide you want to be more story focused, you can go and investigate. You can use the key items to, you know, research the castle or to unlock doors or et cetera, et cetera. Or you can just say, I'm going to buy this and that and that and that and that. And now we're going on to the next fight. So it's, it's, it, you unravel the story at your, at your pace and your discretion. I see. I assume there's like a benefit to taking the story side, right? Like making the fight easier in some way. Not necessarily easy. In fact, taking the story side might make the fights harder. That might be the benefit. Um, oh. You'll certainly, by taking the story, you'll unlock fights that you wouldn't unlock if you just rushed through it. Ah, so, so that's how you find the secret boss fights. Yeah, you get secret bosses and you get tougher bosses through, nice. through the story paths. But um, I think, I, my hope is that I will with this game encourage players to um, encourage players to what's the word um, explore unlock the story for themselves I see I don't like a game that leads you by the nose through the story right like like now read this paragraph now read that paragraph like I want it to be where the players are like well we could go to the next fight but I really want to read the paragraph and they choose to do that yeah okay I think I think, mm, Brad, I think yep. I like this game. Can I have it? Well, in, hopefully in a few months, everybody can have it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, okay. Last question, Brad. Yep. Hey, Brad, it's quite hard to get your games in Europe, especially Exceed. Any plan to open an EU store or changes regarding distribution here? Uh, in my opinion, right, like we've already partnered with some people in, in Europe, and we do have we... some distributors there. We have distributed our main European distributor is called SDVM. Um and so it's so it's it's kind of a thing, right? Um in Europe, um, because the countries are um are what's the word, all have different languages, and because the countries are you know, are are more like the size of regions in America. Um so like in America you release an English edition, everybody gets it. Right? But in Europe, mm. um the distributors are distributing in like Italian only or French only or Spanish only. And so they really want an addition of their game if they're going to carry it. And, um, and so what a lot of these companies do is they are actually, they'll come to me and they'll say, Hey Brad, can we make a Spanish edition of like, you know, pixel tactics or can we make an Italian version of Imperial? And um, we, tr we have tried to like, historically we have been, uh, just selling them a license. It's like, yeah, here you can print Pixel Tactics. Go ahead and do the translation, do the printing, do it all yourself. Um, but because of the their smaller regions, you can generally only expect to sell like you know one to two thousand of those units, and it's hard to print a game at that low of a quantity. So yeah. what um, what we're doing now with Imperial and hopefully with our future games is before we go to press, like right now, this is happening right now. We um we built a translation kit and we're um, offering that translation kit to regional distributors throughout Europe and Asia, so they can make their own editions and then we print them all together. And by printing them all together, we get up to a run of like ten thousand units, and that makes it much cheaper for everyone. Mm, and yeah. so by that method, we can actually get the game to all these regional distributors. So, um, so I guess what I would say is we're trying to make this easier for future games. Um, and especially like with licenses, we're writing in to our licenses the ability to print these extra editions. Mm. Um, so for ex future seasons of Exceed, you should be able to get them in different languages. Ooh. That sort of thing. Spanish. That's our hope. 
Oh my god, that's our hope. We'll see if it. We'll see if it pans out because with card games, it's a bit harder. Oh, because there's a lot, so many changes. With Imperial, right? You just have to change the rule book because everything else is iconography. Yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah, but with um, with Exceed, every card has text, and that all has to be changed. Okay, well, so so we'll see how it goes. Hopefully, it works out right. Um, Brad, before we end this question, what's the Spanish word for Exceed? Um, I don't know, but I hope they would just keep it as Exceed because it sounds really cool, even in Spanish. Okay, I like that as well. <laughs> so that pretty much does it for this episode of Level Cap Podcast. As much as I would like to keep talking to you, asking you questions, Brad, you and I are busy men with busy lives and have to sleep. And I'm sure our listener also has a life to get back to right now. Well, cool. Well, thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. It's been great. And um, thank you for uh, for being a fan. Yeah, we really appreciate that you're listening to this episode of the Level Cap Podcast. Uh, if you like anything about the podcast, please tell us in the comment section down below. Every comment, every like, uh, it means a lot. You know, I, res- I try that, to respond it's to everything. Especially, it's especially relevant now because we're about to change format. So any comments that you leave us will be recorded and will be used in updating the Level Cap Podcast to a new format. So please tell us what you think. Even if you've already told us before, even if you your thought is just, oh, I like everything – let us know because we want to know what you like about the podcast, what you don't like about the podcast, what we can change in our upcoming format shift. Yeah, um, because once we reach level 99, we will indeed level up and become better for you. As usual, that's been me, your host, Marco DeSandos, Osiris Magadagritic, and with me has been my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful co-host, also known as the god overlord of level 99 games himself. I, I'm rolling my eyes silently here. <laughs> Brad, Brad Talton. Brad Dalton. All right. Thank you so much. And don't forget your special action. And thank you, Roll the Bendines. Thank you. And good night. And as always, happy gaming.